All right, as we go into 2 Corinthians chapter number 13, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to go ahead and pray first and uh, then try to bring you the thought that the Lord's laid on my heart. Don't really have a starting point this morning. And uh, so because of that, I, I just feel like the Lord would have us to go ahead and pray and then uh, work our way into the message as the Lord sees fit, okay? And uh, we're going to try to uh, get done with this this morning so we don't have to come back here tonight. Got another burden on my heart for tonight. And I'm going to try to uh, encourage us, Lord, being our helper uh, in the message tonight with some things the Lord uh, has helped me with personally this week that I feel like he would have us to uh, deal with tonight, all right? Let's go ahead and go to the Lord uh, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're in the preaching hour, and uh, we've got a heavy burden. And also, Lord, due to the nature of the things that we're going to be dealing with this morning, we ask God that you'd guard our lips of clay. We need you to touch us. We need you to help us. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. We are here, Father, to try to bring clarity this morning uh, on the subject of salvation. And uh, it is not our intention to cause uh, anybody to, to, be, uh, to muddy any water, Lord, but to try to bring clarity. And I fear, Father, that a lot of times when this subject is brought up, Lord, that sometimes that the water indeed does get muddy, but it is not our heart to do that. We're not here to try to cast doubt. As a matter of fact, Father, what we're here to do is clarify uh, and strengthen. And Lord, uh, we ask that if there's someone in our midst this morning lost and undone, Lord, you'd show them their need for a Savior. Lord, we ask if there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that's confused about this matter of salvation, that Father, this would help to clarify some things for them, for we know that one cannot be saved until they first become lost. It is not our intention, Lord, to take someone who is saved and confuse them and cast doubt upon their salvation. Uh, Lord, we preach against that. We, our heart is against that. But what we endeavor to do is to look at these scriptures, Lord, and to look into our lives uh, and to look at the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to confirm some things, Father, in our life. We'll be, th we'll be careful to thank you praise you to give you glory. Please help us now, Lord. This is a serious matter and we are but flesh. We do not want to fail and we certainly will fail if you do not help us. And so God, as at all times before, we beg you to touch us as we preach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now due to the nature of what we're going to be dealing with this morning, I don't intend uh, to get in too big of a way this morning. We'll try to keep it in low gear and uh, just, just work down through these verses of Scripture. Now we have gone through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. We went through that whole chapter and uh, we ended up in, inadvertently going through our first, our 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And as we got into 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, uh, we were discussing how that uh, Paul had went beyond the call of duty uh, to help and to prove and to verify to the church at Corinth his love for them. And we understand that, that Paul, as he dealt with the church of Corinth, talked about how uh, he would despair not. He talked about how he'd give of himself above and beyond uh, the call of duty. We talked about black-eyeing the ministry. We talked about how uh, he discussed how that he uh, was crafty and how he caught them with guile, uh, understanding that what he'd done, he'd done knowing that he was going to have to go above and beyond the call of duty to get accomplished what it was uh, that he needed to accomplish with the church. And you and I have talked about how uh, there are instances in our life where we just have to go and be willing to go above and beyond the call of duty uh, to, to win someone or to help someone or to get someone to the place uh, where they need to be. And it's, it's unfortunate today because we find a lot of people just barely getting by uh, don't want to do no more than they have to, but Paul is emphasizing that sometimes you have to do more than what's even necessary. I mean, you have to, 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 it's necessary to do above and beyond what the average person would be willing to do. And uh, so there were some things in the Word of God that he was teaching how it was right for a uh, man of God to, to live of the gospel, that the church would take care of the man of God. Yet he says right here in the scriptures and over in chapter number 12 uh, that he wasn't going to be burdensome to them. He wasn't going to, to, uh, to, to take anything from them in that manner uh, to exemplify that he wasn't there for a paycheck. He wasn't a hireling, but he was there to give them what they needed because of his love for them. 
And so it wouldn't be wrong for the church to take care of the man of God, but he said, I don't want, I don't want that. I want to show you my heart, and the only way I can do that is to verify and to prove to you that I don't need what you're giving me in order to do or to give of myself for you. But as we find that he's a loving uh, preacher, a loving apostle, uh, a loving missionary, if you will, he's also one that would not compromise, and he's talked about how he would not spare. We get into chapter 13 here. He said, this is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Shall every word be established? He said, I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent now I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again I will not spare. So to everyone that has sinned and for those of you that are not living in sin, everybody needs to understand that I, Paul, will not spare but I will give the truth Although I'll give it in love, I will give the truth. It says, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you it is not weak, but is mighty in you. So they were looking, if you will, for proof that Paul loved them and was willing. See, what did he just do here at the end of chapter 12? He went above and beyond the call of duty. He went above and beyond the call of duty to verify and to prove that the Spirit of God dwelled in Paul. So in other words, we, he was letting his light so shine before men, right? He was exemplifying Christ by being willing to go above and beyond the call of duty. Did Jesus go above and beyond the call of duty? Absolutely. He took the cross of Calvary. He was hung upon it. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was all kinds of brutality was done to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he went above and beyond the call of duty. And so he's saying here in verse three, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. So he's done all he could do to verify to them his intentions was godly. He said, which to you were is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God, for we also are weak in him. But we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now, they've been examining Paul. All through the end of chapter 12, he's even exemplified and expressed to them and reminded them of what he'd done that they might examine him, that they might draw a conclusion when they did examine him. But you understand today as a whole, the church of Corinth was a carnal church. Had a lot of things, and listen, any church is subject to carnality because every church is made up of members who are made up of flesh. So he was working to try to help this church. You'll find that every church in the, the New Testament had their own set of difficulties and their own set of problems. And we're all, we're all that way. We all, all have our own set of difficulties and our own set of problems. But we're working and trying to, to go and be above and beyond the call of duty that Christ may exemplify that no one walks away saying that anyone didn't love them or didn't care for them. But then he says in verse five, examine yourselves. So all through these verses, it's been examining Paul. The church is examining Paul, examining Paul, examining Paul. Paul realizes that he's being looked at. Paul understands, brother Marvin, that his life is under a microscope. Oh yes, I'm talking about they're looking at every area of his life. And it's funny, it's the people that really aren't looking at themselves are justifying what they do and living like hell like they are, yet they got everybody else under the microscope looking for just any little tiddlywink that might be wrong, right? But after he willingly expresses himself and shows them what's really going on in his heart, he says in verse five, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Now, I'm the first one to, be, to tell you that I do not try to cast doubt on anyone's salvation. It's not my heart uh, to cast doubt on anyone's salvation. But we do understand, and, and I want you to know that 1 John, if I can get over here to 1 John chapter number five, clarifies some things here. 1 John chapter number five and verse number 10. The Bible says in 1 John chapter number five, verse number 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness 
in himself. Notice that. Hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. So we know eternal life cannot be had apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. No man cometh unto the father but by me, the Bible says, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. That ye may know. That ye may know. So I want to say this. You should not go through your life uncertain about your status or your salvation with the Lord. Now I want to say this to you. It's uh, the devil's intention for those that are not saved to keep them away from the house of God, to keep them away from godly people, and to keep them away from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But once one is saved, the devil cannot take your salvation, so he longs to make you a miserable human being. He longs to call into question uh, about those things. So just because one questions some things does not mean uh, that you're lost. But there is this matter of examination. Now, if you have something, if you're uncertain about something, Brother Marvin, that's going on with your physical health, but you fear that it could cause you to have some medical problems that could lead to your death, you're going to go get an examination. You're going to go to the doctor. You're going to say, I can't figure this out. I want you to examine me and see if you're finding something far deeper than I have the ability to understand. And so Paul simply saying to the church at Corinth, listen, you need to examine yourself whether ye be in the faith. Now, faith we know is the subject, the subject of things hoped for, evidence, excuse me. Faith is the subject of things hoped for. Listen here, faith, the asset of the mind to the truth of what is declared to believe or trust. But the other definition is the object of belief trust, a doctrine or system of doctrines believed. So are you in the faith? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saved this morning? So let's, now that we've posed the question, let's look at a few things here. He says to prove your own selves. What was it that he done in chapter 12 uh, when the church was examining him? He was proving and exemplifying Christ in his life. But he's saying now prove your own selves. So let me say this. You can make someone else believe that you're saved. You can cause others to think that you are saved. But you need to know that you are saved. You need to believe that you are saved. How do you do that? Prove your own selves. A lot of people are trying to prove to others that they are something. Can I say it'll do you no good to prove to someone else that something is in your life if it isn't in your life? It's all between you and God. Salvation is between you and God, and you need to have it cleared up with God whether you are saved or lost. Now, how do we know that? Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you. Anyone, anyone ought to know whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ is in them. Now, that, that, that we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, and there's things that become more evident with time. But you ought to know whether or not the Lord done something in your life or not. You should know it before someone else knows it. You should know it before someone else. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. Now, we need to understand this morning, first and foremost, when I got saved, it was between me and the Lord, and I knew it before everyone else did. I understood it before everyone else understood it. I knew what the Lord had done for me. Now, here's some things that I want to deal with this morning concerning salvation. We know that salvation isn't by works. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what salvation isn't, and then we're going to talk about what it is for just a few minutes, okay? Okay. And uh, you bear with me, maybe this is a little elementary for some uh, of you, but it'll be, uh, it'll be good for all of us, and this is what the Lord has laid on our hearts, so we're going to go with it. 
The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 8, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now salvation isn't by works, and salvation isn't predetermined. So we're going to clarify those two things. The Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, we are not Calvinistic in our beliefs. And now that sounds good, and, and you'll hear that said a lot, but what is a Calvinist? See, we throw terms around a lot of times that some people just don't, they don't know what it is. They don't understand it. So, so what is a Calvinist? Well, Calvinists believe God's grace cannot be resisted. And it's, 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 that, it's that God had predetermined that there was so many amounts of people that he was going to save and that grace would be extended, but their grace, his grace would be irresistible, that they could not help but accept it, but yet everyone else that didn't accept it, you know, it, it, was, irres, it was resistible to them. That's not what we believe. That's not what we believe. How do we know? Because the Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's not willing that any should, rep- uh, any should perish, but all should repent. So right now we see the mind and the will of God. God doesn't go against his own will. All right, so here's what we want to know. How, what is this matter of predestination? Well, destinate is, to de- is determined or appointed. So undoubtedly, the terminology in Romans chapter number 8 means something was predetermined. Something was preappointed. Something was intended. So what does this mean? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What was predestinated if it wasn't your salvation? What was predestinated was the ability for you to be saved. He predestinated it. Listen, God never had a plan B. God never had a plan B. God understood what man was going to do before he formed man. So God said, all right, this is what I'm going to do to ensure that salvation can be extended to the common race. And so this is what happens here. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 1, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was what? Foreordained. Do you know what that means? Let me change the word for you. Predestinated. It was predestinated that before the world was hung into existence that Jesus Christ would come and bleed and die. That isn't Calvinism. We do not believe in Calvinism. We believe that for whom he did foreknow, he did, did, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of God. It was all of our destinies, Brother Marvin, to be saved by the grace of God, but we have the ability to change our destiny. So you have to accept what he done because from the beginning he said, this is what I'm going to do. But the problem is man steps in and says, well, this is what I'm going to do. And so if you don't go deal with what God says he's going to do and you're going to do what you're going to do, then you are predestinating your own self to go to a devil's hell. Amen. So the Bible says, for verily, for who verily was foreordained for the foundation of the Lord, excuse me, I'm tongue-tied this morning, but was manifest in these last times for you. People take the scriptures, as we heard this morning, And they'll take a verse out of context and manipulate it, pervert it to make it mean what it is that they want to say. And uh, I mentioned this the other night, but I wrote it down because I thought it was good. My my wife, she showed me a a coffee cup that said, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Instead, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And we can do whatever we want to if we want to take a verse out of context and manipulate and pervert the scriptures to say something that it does not say. And so we, we understand here that, that uh, this matter of predestination simply means this. God took into account that you was a sinner. God took into account before he created man that man was going to mess up. Now, that's a beautiful thing because God accepted us knowing that we were mess ups. 
Jesus died for Shane Bullock knowing that when he was dying for Shane Bullock that he was going to save Shane Bullock, but Shane Bullock was still a failure. But God still longed to have a relationship with you and for me. We found that when we was looking at Peter. When Peter was said, oh, I'll not deny you, Lord. I'll not turn my back on you, Lord. And he said, oh, yes, the cock's going to th- uh, crow and you're going to deny me. And Oh, no, I, I'm, I wouldn't do that, Lord. And then he said, well, come on and pray with me, Peter. Come on and pray with me. And the Lord invited him to go pray with him at a time where Jesus needed to get a hold of God knowing that Peter was going to fall asleep, knowing that when Peter woke up, he was going to wind up denying the Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, come and pray with me. Now, it's a beautiful thing to see what we are and to see that he took that into consideration uh, before the foundations of the world were ever hung. And so salvation isn't predetermined. Salvation this morning is for whosoever will. There is not a man, woman, boy, or girl that God ever intended to die and go to hell. Can I say to you this morning, hell was not created for you. Hell is a place you go when you say that you don't want God. When you don't want his son. How do you want God? How do you get God? Through his son. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, the Father wants a relationship with you, but he's expecting you to come through his son. You know, when we pray, we pray to God through his son. By means of the Holy Spirit, right? When we pray, we'll end our prayer in Jesus' name we pray. We've entered the throne room to talk to the Father, but we're praying through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we get to God through Jesus. You don't get to God if you don't go through Jesus. So we're not Calvinistic in our beliefs. We do not believe in predetermination of salvation, and salvation isn't by works. Now you understand that the Lord did form the law. And he did hand down the law. And I want to say this, the point of the law, why did Jesus foreordain? Why was Jesus foreordained? Why, why was he destined to go to the cross? Because God the Father took into consideration that you and I needed Jesus. He knew that we needed Jesus. So would you say that, that the Lord knew that when he gave the law? When the Lord gave the law... Did he give the law as plan A, yet give Jesus as plan B? Was Jesus something that come after man failed with the law? The law, the Bible says, was our school master. And we understand that Jesus was always having the law thrown in his face in his earthly ministry by the scribes and by the Pharisees. They were missing the point. They was taking the word of God and arguing with the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ, the word of God was in the beginning for there wasn't anything that was made without the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you saying today? I'm saying Jesus came to fulfill the law but the law was to show you and to show me and to show them that they were not able to meet the mark. So it's not by works, it can't be by works. It never was by works. The the law wasn't, and see some people get saved and they wanna add the law to it. Well if you do this or you do that, you're gonna lose your salvation. That's hogwash today, friend. That don't even, that is anti-Bible. That don't even back up with the word of God and, and what the word of God is saying to us. Now, you get saved by the grace of God, you'll have some works. The the Bible says here, prove your own selves. You know better than anybody what's going on inside of you. People are trying to prove to everybody else, everything else. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about it. It matters what God thinks about it. And so this morning, I'm asking you to quit trying to prove to somebody else you're saved and prove it to yourself. Ask yourself, was there a time when I told God I was sorry or told God that I needed her, told Jesus I needed him? Was there a time that you called upon the Lord in salvation or are you just doing what you're doing to prove it to somebody else? You better prove it to yourself because I'm gonna tell you something, in that lonely, dark night when there's nobody there and you're scared to death that if you died, you're gonna go to hell. It really didn't matter what Brother Marvin or Brother Shane or Sister Barbara or Miss Becky thought about it. It mattered what God thought about it. 
And the only person you need to convince at that time is yourself. Now, listen, I'm saved because the Bible says if you do this, this, and this, you're saved. What's that? I repented. I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Listen, I don't wake up every morning feeling rosy. I got up yesterday morning and I had a terrible, terrible morning. I'm talking about one of the worst I've had in a long time. But I had to stop and rethink and consider and realize that, hey, I still got my health. I still got strength. I've still got my family. I'm all right. Things are okay. This is not as bad as it seems. And so I don't want to get off on my message tonight, but what I'm trying to say to you is, is it don't matter how you feel. We're not preaching feelings this morning. You're not proving it to yourself by whether you feel a certain way or not. What you're doing is you're determining whether or not you're saved by whether or not you ask the Lord to save you and then is there some things that's going on in your life as a result of salvation. I want to say this. There are some things that happen in your life as a result of being saved. All right, so we're not dealing with feelings, so you need to get feelings completely out of your mind this morning. But there are some things that accompany salvation and there's some expectation of the Lord. All right? So the Bible says here, for the law having a shadow, Hebrews 10, 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. It was a shadow, Brother Marvin. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there too perfect. So the sacrifices that they were sacrificing wasn't perfect. And they were not able to keep the law, so they were destined for hell. Without the sacrifice... So it's like nothing was there permanently, you understand. But the Bible says, Hebrews 10, 10, by the which we are, uh, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So now we see the sacrifice being that ultimate sacrifice that only had to be sacrificed one time. But then we see Hebrews 10, 18, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. All right, but then Galatians 3 and 21 said, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. John 1 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know what was lacking in the law? There wasn't much grace in there, was there? Oh no, it was down to the letter. Why? Because God is holy. And God doesn't compromise. But we understand that Jesus was foreordained before the foundations of the world. So then we find that the Bible says, but the scripture has concluded in Galatians 3.22, all under sin. Why? Because the law is our schoolmaster. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So first and foremost, do you believe this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your only way to salvation? Did you believe on that? Do you believe that? Now you can't accept Christ until you accept you're a sinner, right? So what does the law do? The law shows us that we're a sinner. The law proves to us that we cannot keep the law. The law proves to us that we don't have any righteousness. Our righteousness does not meet up to the level of expectation that the Lord has. But, but he knew that all along. Why? Because Jesus was foreordained before the foundations of the world. But the Bible says here in Galatians 3 and 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law shut up under the faith which should afterward be revealed. There was a revealing that was coming. Now the Bible tells us in Romans 3 and 20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So nothing that the law, there was no justification of keeping of the law because you couldn't keep it neither could they. But the Bible says this and this, Romans 3 20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. You know how you're, you know you're a sinner? Because when you look at the expectation that God had, you couldn't meet it. 
So the Bible says here, Galatians 3 and 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by what? By faith. By faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, we never seen the law, but there was evidence that we couldn't keep it. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The law had nothing to do with my salvation. What had to do with my salvation was the law showed me that I was a sinner in need of a savior. We find that the sacrifices in the days of the law were never there, was not able to keep the comers there unto perfect. But we know that Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice because the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 18, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. But the Bible says by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we have a final sacrifice, a sacrifice that absolutely satisfied God. The only sacrifice that satisfied God and the only righteousness that satisfied him was the righteousness of his son because he didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. He perfected it's what that means. Jesus Christ did not break his father's law and he was perfect. And now here's the thing. That sacrifice, the sacrifices that never could keep the comers there unto perfect, now that there's been that perfect sacrifice and I've accepted that sacrifice and I was washed in the blood of that sacrifice, now, now I'm able to be perfect. Say, preacher, are you perfect? Not in this flesh, but positionally with the Lord Jesus Christ I am. He looks at me and he sees the blood of his son. And unless you accept Christ, you, friend, cannot be perfect and you cannot be saved and you will indeed go to hell. So the idea that you can work your way to heaven better throw that out the window. It's not going to happen. They couldn't do it and, I'm gonna, and, and we understand that they could not do it. Because when we look at Matthew chapter number 5, as we read the other Sunday, the Bible says in Matthew 5 and 24, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus was essentially saying, you're going to have to exceed even the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're so militant about the law, uh, if they can't get it, you're not going to get it either. That's when he started talking about cutting your arms and your hands and your legs and plucking your eyeballs out because if you don't start getting rid of the flesh, you got to cut the flesh away in order to be perfect. Guess what? You keep cutting and you're going to kill yourself. You're going to bleed to death. It ain't your blood that needs to be shed. Your blood can't do it. It's his blood. So what happens when you start cutting your hands and your legs and your feet off, you start sacrificing yourself. Essentially what Jesus is saying, you're just going to sacrifice yourself and still die and go to hell. You're just going to sacrifice yourself. But you better accept that ultimate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. So having said, having said all of that, we understand this morning that salvation isn't by works and salvation isn't predetermined. It is for whosoever will. So we appreciate that this morning. So therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. All right, now, here's what's interesting. When man gets saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit moves on the inside. Man, woman, boy, or girl. What we're essentially doing here is we're examining ourselves to see whether or not we be in the faith. Now, 1 Timothy 3 and 16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So Jesus left the earth and was received up into glory. Why did he come to the earth? Because the Bible said when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. What's that fullness of time? Well, it was predestined before the foundations of the world that Jesus would come. Now the Bible says when the fullness of time was come. 
So now the span of time, the law was the schoolmaster. God has done what he wanted to do. Now he said, all right, it's time for my son to show up. What did he do? When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made under the law. Jesus was made under the law. Why? Because he came to fulfill it. He couldn't fulfill it unless he was made under it. So he was made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. So those that were under the law, the law being their schoolmaster, showing them they were a sinner, unable to make a sacrifice that would keep the comers there and too perfect, he came to redeem them that were under the law. Why? That we might receive the adoption of sons. Now Jesus was the only begotten son of the Father. God only had one son. It wasn't you and it wasn't me. But he said, I'm going to give my son that I can have you as a son. I'm going to give my son that I can have you as a daughter. So now, can I say to you, 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 know, you, you are his child if you're saved because he loved you so much. He was willing to do what it took to allow you the opportunity to be his child. And so we look at John chapter 14, verse number 26. When we're talking about the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you if you're saved, the Bible says in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now we see in 1 Timothy 3, 16 a minute ago that the Lord was received up. But right here in John 14, 26, he said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. The Father sent the Son. But then the father called the son back to glory. But when he called the son back to glory, he sent the comforter, the Holy Ghost. Now the Bible says, but when the comforter is come, I will send unto you from the father, listen, even the spirit of truth. Truth, truth. It was always the scribes and Pharisees under the law that was trying to make God, Jesus, out to be a liar. But we understand that the spirit is also the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. Now, John 16, verse 5 says, But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for, I go, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit, of sin of the Father, is coming. Now, when you got saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit took up abode on the inside of you. Now, Paul said, when I would do good, what evil is present with me? The things that I would, I do not. The things that I do not, I would. There's a war there. Now listen to me, before you got saved by the grace of God or until the Lord started dealing with you about getting saved by the grace of God, there was no war in you. Your mama may have told you not to do something. Your daddy may have told you not to do something. But there was no war on the inside. The war come when the Holy Spirit began to prick your heart and show you that you had a problem that needed a, salve, that needed a Savior. All right, so now listen here. It says, Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led... By the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, we understand here that Jesus Christ, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made under the law to redeem them under the law, that what? We might receive the adoption of sons. So his purpose in coming was that we could be adopted as his children. All right? So having said that, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit of God, Jesus said, I'm going to my Father, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Truth, it's coming to dwell in you, and the Spirit of Truth will guide you. So we understand the Spirit is controlling us, Brother Marvin, or working in our life to help us be what we ought to be, and he guides us, and he directs us. Now, having said that, look with me. In uh, first or John chapter sixteen and verse number, uh, let's see here, 
12. The Bible says, or no, let's back up to verse number 8. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. So your first interaction with the Holy Spirit was when the Holy Spirit began to dwell with or deal with you for who you are. So, so Jesus went to the Father, but the Father has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come to reprove the world of sin. So your first encounter with the Spirit of God would be when the Spirit of God began to show you what you were, yet what you needed. All right? So you, you were dealt with as a sinner. I, but the Bible says that when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Listen to verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, notice that, the spirit of truth. John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. All right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. You don't find the Holy Spirit being separate from Jesus Christ or God the Father. So how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. How does he do that? How does the Holy Spirit guide you? He dwells within you and desires a relationship with you. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you cannot have accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior and not have the Spirit of God dealing with your heart. Now we're not talking about supernatural superheroes. We're not talking about Superman and Spider-Man and Batman and all that junk. We're talking about the Spirit of God. Something that is, is, is easily misunderstood, but we will explain it if you will continue to listen and, and just keep attention for just a moment. He said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, notice with me, if you will, he's not just the Holy Spirit, but he's the spirit of truth. And we understand that the Bible says thy word is truth. And in the beginning was the word and was with God. We're talking about Jesus here. But right here it says, hath in these last days, or let's just back up to verse number one, Hebrews chapter number one, verse one. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So we find here in the last days that Jesus Christ was doing the speaking. He came what? He, was, he brought grace and truth. He was added. He didn't take away from the law. He was in addition to the law. He was the word. All right? But the Bible says, Hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, now what? How, now what? He hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. In times past, he spake unto us by the fathers, the fathers by, the, by the prophets. But the Bible says right now, he sits on the right hand of the majesty on high. So now what? The spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit of God coupled with the word of God. The spirit of truth, Jesus Christ, the word. Now we have the word of God. It all coincides. The Holy Spirit coupled with the word. The spirit of truth coupled with the truth of the word of God reveals unto man that man is a sinner, shows them that they're in need of a savior and shows them that they are destined to hell. How does God speak to us now? By the spirit of truth and by the word of truth. We don't have prophets in these days. We have the spirit of truth and the word of truth. Thy word is truth. So we understand here that the Bible says, I've yet many things to send you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So I'm going to say this. It's the spirit of God's uh, will. It's the will of God that you be led by truth into truth. 
So the Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of you is pulling you, Brother Marvin, and leading you and beckoning you by the Word of God, by the truth of the Word of God. Now your flesh is saying, I don't want the truth. I don't want the Word of God. But the Spirit of God said, oh, but you're mine. You're mine, and so I'm pulling you towards truth. And that war that Paul was talking about was that war between the flesh and the spirit. So are you saved today? Examine yourself. Is there a war going on inside of you that when you would do good, evil is present with you? When you want to do good, but you do bad. When you do bad, but you want to do good. There's a controversy. There's a pull. There's a lack of peace. There's a frustration. Are you saved this morning? Examine yourself. Prove it to yourself. The word of God doesn't lie. There'll be something on the inside of you that will not allow you to have peace if you're saved by the grace of God. Now, I want to say to you this morning, if you're sitting here in, the, in these padded pews and telling everybody you're saved, trying to prove it to everybody else, but you don't have the Spirit of God dealing with your heart when you do what you know is against that Bible right there, the Spirit of truth, talking about the Word of truth, and you can just go on like everything's all right, and the Spirit of God never deals with your heart, you're lost as a ball in high weeds headed for a devil's hell. It's that simple. We're not muddy in the water this morning. We're not trying to make you think you're lost based on your feelings. What we're doing is looking at the Word of God. If the spirit of truth that's supposed to dwell on the inside of you is not dealing with your sin that you know is sin, that you know is, a, is not right with God's word, and you can just live hunky-dory and everything's all right and there's no controversy in your life, friend, you better be scared to death this morning because if you died, you'd bust hell wide open. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, you do not have to go where the Spirit of God leads. But if I am the Spirit of God and I do it with Marvin, I'm pulling on Marvin to come. Marvin can sit there as long as Marvin wants to sit there. But Marvin can't sit there without feeling me tug on his shirt. And you can't sit in your sin being saved by the grace of God and not have the Holy Spirit tugging on your shirt, friend. So if the Holy Spirit's not tugging on your shirt, I'd be worried to death what's going on in my life. Quit proving it to everybody else, friend, and prove it to yourself. Examine yourself. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. Do you understand you can know that you're saved this morning? Oh, yeah. You don't have to be perfect to be saved. I get so sick of these preachers that like if you did this and this and this, you never got it. Friend, you can do this and this and this and have had it for a long time, but you can't do it without the Spirit of God tugging on you when you do wrong. That's the difference. Go with me to Hebrews 12. Very familiar, but I'm going to break it down a little different. Now the whole point of this is that we can be adopted into the family of God. The whole point of this, the Bible says, if you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That literally means, Brother Marvin, that we don't look at Jesus or God in any other manner than looking at God and saying, Daddy. Daddy. The relationship that he wants to have with us is no different than a father loves their child. That's simple. He loves you. He made a way to adopt you into the family of God. But the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number uh, 7, or let's back up to uh, verse number 6. For whom the Lord loveth. Now how do we know the Lord loves us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that he loves us because he gave Jesus for us, his only son. He gave his only son that he could adopt us as his children. So we know that he loves us. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now listen, he doesn't just chasten, but the Bible says, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. 
So when you accepted Jesus Christ, you became a child of the king. We understand that the Bible says there will be chastening. All right, so we look on here. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now listen, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. My question to you this morning is, do you think you're saved, yet you live in sin, but God never deals with you? How does God deal with you? Through the spirit of truth that he sent into your life when you accepted Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved by the grace of God on your way to heaven, call yourself a child of the king, and yet live in hell, live in sin, do all kinds of awful ungodly things, and then not have the spirit of God deal with your heart. Not possible. The Bible says here, but if you be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers. What's that mean? We're of all are partakers. God does it for every one of his children, Brother Marvin. You are not an exception this morning in the born again body of believers. You are not an exception. You did not get something different than somebody else got. Jesus loved all of his children the same. Why? Because he gave Jesus for whosoever will. There was none predestinated. So when you received him, he gave you the power to become the child of God. You become the child of God and he loves every one of you equally so much so that the Holy Spirit that was sent just for you, might I add, Jesus left that the Spirit might come. Jesus wasn't with everybody all the time in body. But the Spirit of God can be in every born again believer that's saved by his marvelous grace. Why? It's personal today, friend. It's a personal salvation. God, the Spirit of God dwells in Shane Bullock, but the Spirit of God that goes with Shane Bullock to the workplace tomorrow will also be abiding with me. Isn't that wonderful? But if Jesus was here in body, Jesus would have had to decide if he was going to go with me or to go with Shane. But the Spirit of God is in all, everyone that's born into the family of God. All right, so the Bible says here, but if you without chastisement, whereof all are partakers? All are partakers of the chastisement if you're saved by the grace of God. Now listen to this, we're not all perfect. None of us are perfect. We, the law is our schoolmaster. We know we're not perfect. So what's that mean? We're all partakers. Every one of us has to have the Spirit of God to check us back in tune. Oh yes, when I start examining myself and I start questioning myself or the devil pops up on my shoulder and tries to make me determine whether I'm saved or not by my feelings... I go back to a time where the Lord put some pop knots on my head and dusted my hide. And I know that he loves me because I'm his son. Now the Bible says this here, it says, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not son. A bastard is someone that doesn't know his father. If you're not getting spankings, friend, when you live in a rebellion against that Bible right there, then I got news for you, you're not a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, then you, friend, are headed for hell. Bible said, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. You know why he chastises you? To keep you in check. Because he is holy, you're his child, and he wants you to be holy. And you're a failure because you was born that way, so he will correct us to keep us in line. So you cannot make it in life being saved by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God not deal with your heart and convict your heart for the sin that's in your life. It's that simple. It's cut and dry. When you examine, you have to examine one thing. Did the Holy Spirit of God deal with my heart and show me that I was a sinner? Jesus said, I'm going to go away. The comforter will come. The Spirit of God's going to come and reprove the world of sin. If the Holy Spirit of God did not deal with your heart because of what you were, it's not a feeling but it should, should have been revealed unto you and dealt with your heart. And you didn't respond by calling upon that name which is better name. You better, you better go back to that place. But maybe you were, and listen, there's some people, there's some people that just said what they said to get somebody off their back. There's some people that just said something about getting saved just so somebody would leave them alone because they was trying to prove it to somebody else, not prove it to themselves. You better go back there. You better go back there. There's chastening. There's chastening. Now, understand with me, if you will, 
The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 20. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you're saved by the grace of God, you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for you. He shed his blood. He, you belong to him. Listen, Lydia and Olivia belong to me. They're my children. They don't belong to Brother Marvin. They don't belong to Sister Barbara or Sister Tara or, or Sister Pam or Brother Shane or, or Miss Weekly. No, 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 no. They belong to me. When you got saved by the grace of God, you were adopted. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father, rather. And, and you need to understand something. The Father orders your steps. The Father corrects when you get out of line. The Father will, will, will work in your life. So for you are by the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. But this, the verse prior to that says what? Question mark. Listen now. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Now, if you'll remember, the Spirit of God dwelled within the temple. And the great high priest had to go into the holiest of the holies, right? That's that, now, listen, listen, follow along with me here. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. So now the Spirit of God moved on the inside of this earthly tabernacle, this temple, if you will. You didn't get saved unless the Spirit of God moved on the inside. Now, follow me, if you will, for just a minute. Jesus, we find that the Father is a corrector, a chastiser, one that deals with his children. But it's interesting, Brother Shane, that the Bible likens my body as unto the temple of the Lord. What did Jesus do with the temple? Now think about this with me for just a moment. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Now in John chapter number two, we find the first purification of the temple. The Bible says in verse number 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the what? The temple. Those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Now listen, when he had made a scourge. Did you catch that? When he had made a scourge. What did Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 say? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and what? Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now your body is the temple of the Lord. And Jesus, when he went into the temple, Brother Shane, and found that things were not right in the temple, Amen. he platted a scourge. The Bible said, and the Jews' Passover was handed, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple uh, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the table and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. In other words, my father's house is for one thing. Now, we were bought with a price. The Bible says we're not our own. We're here for one thing. We're here to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we don't do that with our life, if the Lord Jesus Christ, if the Spirit of God does indeed dwell on the inside of you, he will see what's going on in the temple in which he dwells. And he will not allow you, friend, to do the things with your temple that are anti-God without dealing with you on it. Now, I want to say this. I want to say this. Jesus took time to plaid the scourge. I don't know where you're at in this equation right here, but you might ought to stop and look at yourself for just a minute. You might be in a situation this morning where Jesus is just sitting right outside right here plaiting a scourge and he's fixing to wear you out. He's fixing to turn your money, uh, the money tables over. He's fixing to create havoc in your temple if you don't get some things right. Now listen, you might ought to get it right while he's planting the scourge. Listen, I've said it before. 
God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. This is the most gracious way that God deals with his child. You're in God's house, listening to God's word, hearing God's warning, and he's planting a scourge. How do you know he's planting it? Because the Bible said he would. And if you're saved by the grace of God, you know you're saved, you know you called on him, you look at your life, you can tell that the Spirit of God's dealing with you on things. You better do something before he comes inside there with that whip and tears you up. But he will plant a scourge. The Bible said, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. There was no way, Brother Marvin, that Jesus went in that temple and did not make a disruption. No one that was around that temple that day got away from without realizing that Jesus had showed up and had done business at the temple. When Jesus does business in your temple, friend, you will know that Jesus has been by your way. So what are you saying today? I'm saying if you don't have the spirit of God dealing with your temple because of your sin that you know is against that Bible right there, I got news for you, friend. You better, you better, you better get saved if God ain't dealing with your temple. Said, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. So he purified the temple. What's he doing with you and me? He's holy. Or his children. He purifies us by correcting us. You'll not live a a Christian life for the duration of your life and the Lord not correct you. Now how you respond will determine whether or not he has to come in there with that whip or not. But if you do not respond, and there's some that's not responding, the Lord will come in with a whip. Now that could be that some's not responding and the Lord's not doing anything and it's because the Spirit of God don't dwell on the inside of the temple. That's not for me to determine. Because you're not, you're, not, you're not proving yourself to me. You're proving yourself to your own self and you're examining your own self. But I like this. It wasn't just a one-time thing. We find in John chapter number 2 the first purification, but we find in Matthew chapter number 21 the second one. The Bible said, and Jesus went to the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. Jesus went in and got rid of everything that was in the way that was causing problems in the temple, that was causing the temple not to be what what it was supposed to be. Everything in your life that isn't right with God, it's the spirit of God's intention to get it out of your life. And if you won't get it out of your life, he will. The Bible said, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto, him, uh, said unto them, it is written, my house. You know why he went in and done what he done? Because it was his house. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, you are not your own. Shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Do you know when you're not giving the Lord and, and you're not treating the temple like the Lord wants you to treat the temple that you are robbing him of what it is that he wants out of your life? A den of thieves. Now like this, and then I'm done. Verse 14 says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Let that sink in for just a minute. He purified the temple, Brother Marvin. After he purified the temple, after he got the temple cleaned up, after he got the temple back right, then he began to heal the blind and the lame. What are you saying? I'm saying God has an intention to do something with your temple. And he can do something with your temple for his glory and honor. But he cannot do it until he cleans it up. Because he isn't a God of compromise. So God will not allow you to live in sin and be a productive witness for him. And he saved you not just to take you to heaven, not just to reconcile you unto himself, but for you to do something for his glory and honor that others might come to know him in the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not fulfilling that duty as a born-again believer, then the scourge is coming your way. But I want you to understand something. If you'll get it cleaned up, 
if you'll get right with God, the Lord will use your temple in a magnificent way. He said, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And he healed them. There's a society of people today that need the healing touch of a savior. But because you have things in your temple that do not need to be in your temple, you cannot allow your temple to do what was being done at this temple. Can't happen. So let me say to you this, and I'm, and, and, and I'm through. Examine yourself this morning. As a sister comes, if you'll come to the piano, please, just play something soft. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Paul said to examine yourselves. You need to examine yourself this morning, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. How do we know? How do we know that we're saved? You cannot be saved and not know it. You could be confused because of the devil. You can be confused because of sin. But ultimately, if you look at the scripture and not go on your feelings, you cannot be saved and not know it. How do we know it? Because the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin continues to convict you of your sin, continues to deal with you on your sin, continues to work in your life. He continues to chase and he continues to work. There is a war going on. If there's no war, if there's no draw, if there's no pull, when you live in rebellion against that Bible, friend, you need to get saved. If there is pull, if there is, if there is a drawing, if there is a tugging, if there is the Lord working in your life, yet you have sin in your life. The Lord can't use your temple the way he wants to use your temple until he gets it cleaned up. But friend, it's going to cause some stripes to go on your back. It's going to cause things inside your temple to turn upside down. It's going to call, talk, cause him to flip some things in your life upside down today, friend. Do you want your life flipped upside down? Do you want the inside of your temple to be wrecked? Jesus went in there and wrecked the temple. He turned it upside down. He'll turn it upside down, friend, before he cleans it up. If if, if you don't clean it up, friend, and you wait for him to clean it up, he's going to turn it upside down first. Do you want your temple turned upside down? Friend, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know about the message. This is what the Lord laid on my heart. I don't think I've ever, I've never preached a message quite like that. I've never preached that message for sure. If you need to do business with God, please do business with God. Ever head bowed, ever eye closed. What